Hi, this is Rick Anthony, and welcome to the Someone You Should Know podcast, the podcast that spotlights the stars of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So sit back, relax, have a cold one, and get ready to meet someone you should know. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Someone You Should Know. On this particular episode, we're going to go back to 2006. This is an interview I did with the drummer from Foghat, Roger Earl, the one with the mustache. And uh, he and I were talking about an album that they were promoting. This is their second live album that they came out with. The original one was in, I believe, 1977. This one here was one that came out in 2006. Not only does Roger talk about promoting the album and some of the songs and some of the personnel on it, but we also talk about some tales from the road, those crazy road stories that seems like every band has got. We're going to talk about that, and also Roger is going to talk about some similarities that they had with the band Spinal Tap. So sit back and relax as I reintroduce you to Roger Earl of Foghat. Hello, Rick. This is Roger Earl from Foghat. Hey, how you doing? Hey, brother. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm, um, <laughs> you're right. I'm working hard today. <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> now, what's this I hear? You're a gardener. Is that right? Uh... Well, I do have a garden now. Yeah, I grow vegetables and herbs and stuff like that. Potatoes, zucchinis, um, squash, eggplant, of course. What's life without a little eggplant and a tomato, right? Very good. Do I agree with you? I'm all, and I'm, all, I'm also a carpenter today. I'm building a uh, an office outside. Right? <laughs> I have help, though. <laughs> Very good. Very good to make sure it's up to code. Yeah. Good. We'll uh, yeah, it's up to cut. Very good. Roger, just follow my lead here. We'll get right into it, okay? You got it. All right, very good. Welcome back. I'm Rick Anthony, and we have a real treat for you this afternoon. Now, uh, I, I talked to a member of this band back in 1980. I do believe it was about the time they were releasing a song called Third Time Lucky. I had talked to, uh, to Lonesome Dave, and here it is 27 years later, and we're finally catching up with the band again. We're speaking with Roger Earl, who's been a drummer of this band ever since the dawn of time. Uh, would you please welcome <laughs> Roger Earl from Foghat. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good. How you doing, Rick? Uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out uh, what what have, you, what have I missed in the last 27 years. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, we've been uh, we've been rocking around the world. I figured as um, much. We have a new uh, double live right. CD due for release this uh, June 26th. Going to be in all the stores. We're really excited about it. All right, real good. Uh, yeah, we recorded it in uh, Southern California, uh, Seattle, down there. Very There's good. There's also a couple of bonus tracks on there, about six bonus tracks from um, some studio rehearsals that we made. Before we go out on the road, mm-hmm. we, uh, like, we rehearse some new songs on new old songs just to make sure we're in the right uh, groove and pocket and we're playing in the same key. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> and, so uh, We liked the way they sounded and um, we figured we'd put them on there as bonus tracks. But the... The uh, largest amount of the uh, double live CD is uh, all live tracks. About 85% is all live. Very good. Now, you've been doing this for 37 <laughs> years as Foghat. Uh, right. Do you still love playing as much as you did in early days? I I probably enjoy it more than I ever did. It's, uh, it's a real cool time for us to be playing... Um, Wherever we play, like you know, like festivals, rock festivals, or theaters, or whatever, we get a, a varied audience. Like especially the, like the twelve to twenty-five year olds, which is gratifying. The fact that you know the music can reach over, like uh, you know, the different age groups. Because people my age, you know, like fifty to sixty, 
they're all sort of busy doing other stuff now. Um, Absolutely. But um, yeah, we have a, a very large younger audience. You're like me. This business is, is very much like, like my business in the sense that this is the only thing I've ever known how to do. You know, you, no, you, you're, you're a carpenter. You're also a gardener. You've got a couple uh, of things you can fall I, I, back and on. I, huh? and I, in fact, my <laughs> first job uh, uh, when I left school when I was 15, I was a commercial artist. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and I did that to support my drum habit. <laughs> until I was 20, uh-huh. and then I joined Savoy Brown, right. and though I didn't get paid for the first six weeks, I did give up my day job. <laughs> <laughs> I say, yeah. Uh, yeah, th- this is why, I, I, you know, I'm one of those fortunate few in the world that gets to earn a living at doing something I really love and enjoy. Very good. Now, you guys signed with Bearsville Records. Was it 73? When was it with Bearsville? Uh, 1971, when 71. we signed okay. with uh, Albert Grossman from Bearsville Records. I'll right. tell you a story. Sure. Maybe this would... <laughs> help keep some of you younger players out there like into it the reason you play music is because you love to play anyway we'd uh, we'd left Savoy Brown myself and Dave and we'd uh, we'd formed well it wasn't called Foghat at the time but we'd made about six of the f- songs we'd recorded them all that went on the first album our manager Tony Otida was shopping it around the world he went to all the major labels all the minor labels and Every single one of them turned us down. Every one. Albert Grossman, who was uh, the manager of the band, Bob Dylan, Janis Joplin, uh, Peter, Paul and Mary, uh, a few other luminaries. And uh, he was starting a new label, uh, Bearsville. And I think what basically he wanted to have a rock and roll band on there. as He, he just had the band, but uh, they, were, they weren't on his label. So... He was over in Europe um, touring with the band and our manager at the time, Tony Otida, knew Albert and he got Albert, uh, you know, some of the uh, demos that we made. We rented a room in North London to rehearse. Albert came down to see us. I think we took his head off a little bit. We had those marshals and high watts turned up a little bit. And uh, Albert said, uh, after we played him about six or seven songs, he said, uh, is there anywhere we can go and get some tea and biscuits? <laughs> there was a hotel across the road, so we went across there, and we sat down. He ordered tea and biscuits all round. I mean, by this time, yeah, I'm on, like, pins and needles. And uh, then he turns around and, like, looks at us and says, okay, let's do it. <laughs> I can, to this day, yeah. I remember those words. And, uh, yeah, Albert Grossman gave me a job and, like, started me off on this... Uh, road and I'm forever grateful so all you people out there who are making demos and making records even if everybody turns you down don't give up do it for the right reasons do it because you love to play and maybe uh, there aren't too many more Albert Grossman's in this world um, that's for sure but uh, keep doing it just stick at it because you love doing it very good in 77 uh, someone handed me well, actually it was my music director handed, handed me a copy of the live LP that you guys put out and it contained one of my all time favorite live cuts your version of I Just Want to Make Love to You uh, your accomplishments in that particular disc in 77 and what you've got now how do they compare other than the fact that one was on vinyl and one's on CD um I don't, but that's a little difficult for me to actually ascertain. Um, I, I can tell you this. Uh, I mean, I really like the version we did back in um, 77, and I'm really particularly proud of the one we've done now. The, we've, of course, as is our want, um, extended it by about eight minutes. We do like this, uh, like a blues jam before we actually start the riff. And um, 
I don't know. I think sonically, um, the CD CD sound better. They're, they're, mm-hmm. You know, you uh, just because I think things have improved. But there again, having said that, there is a, a real warmth to like analog recordings, but. Mm-hmm. We'll let the people decide that. Um, I am proud of both versions. Very as you all three, we made three versions, I think, over the years. Oh, that's for sure. Now, yeah. this is something I'm sure you've got asked a zillion times, the origins of the name Foghat. I know you, you kind of, I think Linda told me the story about what you say, uh, <laughs> what's a Foghat? It's a, it's, a, it's a very smashing hat when you want to rock and roll, but what exact, where did the origins of uh, Foghat actually come from? Um, actually, Lonesome Dave made up the word when he was playing a Scrabble game when he was about 12 years old with his brother, John. And, uh, yeah, we, we didn't have a name for the band, and we were going to see the artwork f- for the first album, and the four of us are trooping up these stairs, and we're going, well, well what are we going to call ourselves? <laughs> 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 so uh, Dave came up with that, and we said, yeah, why not? We had a number of other names thrown out at the time, but we hated all of them. But... Foghat was... Uh, actually, there's another side story to that. When we were in um, Savoy Brown, Lonesome Dave, you know, his moniker was, you know, Lonesome, or he was also called Jack's Man for some reason, and he decided to name everybody. And he offered the name uh, Luther Foghat to our lead singer at the time, Chris Jordan. Mm-hmm. But Chris couldn't see the wisdom of that. He didn't think too much <laughs> of being called Luther Foghat, so he said... Chris, and I think I was Skins Willie Johnson for some unknown reason. <laughs> but Dave was like that. <laughs> Real good. Speaking of Dave, now, we lost Dave and we lost Rod back in the in the 90s, and those were, of course, the heart and soul of the band. Uh, when something like that happens, like, say, for instance, Boston wanted losing Brad Delp earlier this year, when you have, yeah, that something, was sad, when you have something as traumatic as that, how do you guys go on? Well, Rod had left the band in... Uh, 99. Um, Prior to that, Dave was undergoing chemotherapy and radiation for um, cancer. He had kidney cancer. He called me up in 99, and we'd been off the road for about a year and a half or nearly two years, I think, and said that he he felt better and he wanted to go out on the road and play again. Rob Price didn't want to come out on the road and play with us, so... I said to Dave, well, what do you want to do? Um, shall, shall I audition? Because they lived in Florida and I lived up here in New York. And he said, no, Brian would do it. I said, well, you want me to hold some auditions for guitar players? He said, no, Brian would do it. I said, you sure? Mm-hmm. He said, well, you can hold some if you want, but Brian would do it. <laughs> <laughs> so knowing Dave as I did, uh-huh. uh Brian Bassett became our new slide and lead guitar player. And I thank Dave on a regular basis for giving us Brian. He is not only a fabulous person, he's an absolute genius in the studio. He's a terrific engineer and producer. Uh, he's fun to get drunk with. And um, he also co-wrote a number of songs with Lonesome Dave that they wrote together. Uh, he was probably Dave's best friend, so... There's a continuum there, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, grateful to Dave for that. Very good. Uh, Roger, one of my all-time favorite movies happens to be something that kind of parallels your band, too. Uh, Spinal Tap. This is Spinal Tap. was released in the early 80s. It documents one of my all-time favorite rock bands. Go on. Now, now this thing here, I, I read somewhere it says the, the, documentary film, the documentary film Spinal Tap goes to 20. The members actually claim that the plot 
And the incidence in This Is Spinal Tap was based on Foghat. Now, I, I, I have a hard time believing that. For one, you're the drummer of the band. One, you didn't choke on vomit. One, you didn't get uh, mangled in a b- bizarre gardening accident. And I don't think I have any recollection of you uh, spontaneously human combusting. So what's the right, story? A little green globule on the seat. <laughs> yes, is that a little globule? Yes. What, no, what's a little green. How did this, um, nah, this rumor well, start? <laughs> I mean, you know, the producer obviously had to have some kind of uh, leeway with that. Right, yeah. And like, obviously, he couldn't call the drummer Roger, <laughs> uh, and the dr- and the singer couldn't be called Dave, but he he could be Nigel or who was the other one? What was David St. Hubbins? And of course, he also had Derek Small. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, Derek St. Hubbins. Yes. Um, uh, I don't know, but I, I can tell you this: there was the uh, Allo Cleveland bit where they're all wandering around in the basement and in the pipes and getting lost. That's happened to us. Um, I don't know if it was based on us. Uh, certainly, some of the uh, situations were closer. Well, no, you can't look at that guitar. <laughs> no, they don't touch. You can't look at it. They'll not touch it. <laughs> I don't know. You have to ask the producer about that. I, one. I know. And here's the thing that actually talks about Spinal Tap. You and Derek Smalls, who was the bass guitar uh, guitarist for Spinal Tap, had two of the most definitive mustaches in the rock and roll era. And you've shaved yours off. Now, what's the story? Oh, it was, um, I got tired of having soup um, an hour later. No, it, it, it's only hair. It's time for a change. Actually, I did grow it back a few years back. Um, I don't know, about 10 years ago, I grew it back, but it was white. It's white now, so I look sort of like a cross between a biker Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> Which probably at certain times of the year could be... Um, Okay. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Yeah. It'd actually be Father Christmas over there, wouldn't it? No, yeah, eh? Father Christmas, right. <laughs> Father God. Christmas, give us your money, <laughs> otherwise God. we'll beat you up. <laughs> Is that the kinks, right? That's the kinks. That's the kinks. Yeah. Now, let's talk about uh, the two members that have, have actually replaced uh, Rod and Dave. Uh, okay. We, we mentioned Brian already. Let, let's talk a little bit about how they came to be part of the band. You mentioned Brian already. Your other member? Uh, Charlie. Mm-hmm. Charlie Hewn, um, yeah. After Dave died, he died in February of 2000. Um, during the, the the three or four months after that, you know, I had to sort of make some... I was under some uh, pressure to put the band back together. We had a, an enormous amount of uh, debt, but I wasn't so much concerned about that. It was... If, if Foghat was going to continue, it had to have a singer. You know, you don't replace... Somebody like Lonesome Dave, he had a tremendous hand in this band. He was the main writer, and he was, in fact, the heart and soul of the band with his singing and um, his knowledge of blues and rock and roll music. Um, and every night that we played with Dave, he get, never gave less than 110%, even when he was ill. And to find somebody to fill those shoes uh, and, to, uh, and to fill that spot in this band is, was quite a daunting task. But um, as it so happens, we did a show in ni- 1997 when Dave was still alive in Toledo, Ohio, and supporting us was Humble Pie. Um, and fronting the band was Charlie Hune. Well, Dave and I went out there to have a listen to uh, this bloke who's singing our mate Stevie Marriott songs. Mm-hmm. Now, the band started off playing musically. I didn't think too much of them. But as soon as Charlie started singing... Dave and I both said, whoa, and you know, took a step back. And when it came down time to actually start making decisions about singers, 
I called up our road manager, Michael McConnell, and said, Michael, remember this guy who sang with uh, Humble Pine? He said, yeah. <laughs> I said, what's his name? He said, Charlie Yoon. <laughs> I said, do you know how to get hold of him? He said, yeah. Michael was a man of few words. Oh, um, seems like he got hold of Charlie. I talked to Charlie on the phone. I sent him a bunch of um, CDs and tapes, like 20 or 30 tunes. I said, learn these and give me a call. He called me up, he called me back a couple of months later and said, got it. <laughs> <laughs> he came out to the house. We sat in the living room, went over stuff acoustically for a while. Uh, then we rented uh, a room at SIR Studios in New York City, played for about a week and hit the road, and the rest is hopefully history in the making. Uh, Charlie is uh, a tremendous talent. Uh, he was on um, Ted Nugent's records between 78 and like 82, probably some of Ted's best years, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Um, he also uh, sang with Gary Moore. He had a band in Europe called Victory, and um, Charlie is a, a great talent, and... Like Lonesome Dave, he never gives it anything less than 110%. And uh, we're real fortunate to have somebody of Charlie's talent. And it's a lot of fun to get drunk with, too. <laughs> <laughs> now, I talked to Linda about this ahead of time. And uh, I want to find out what are some of your favorite road stories with Foghead. We do a little thing called Tales from the Road and everything from uh, you know, buses being broke down alongside the road to being left behind at a rest stop to hotel rooms that have caught fire. What's some of your favorite road stories that we can actually air on the radio? Oh, you can actually air on the radio. It's just like, you know, it's just a family show. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, it's a family show. I'll try and keep it clean. All right. Lay it on. Um, let's see. Oh, I know. Yeah, uh, here's one for you. 19, in 1970, maybe 1980, actually. We're on the road. We're on the road with the bus. We've been out for a couple of days, as was our one back then. You know, we were having far too much fun. We roll into Hollywood, uh, Florida, like down in my part of Miami, and uh, we get in about 6.37, no, about 7.30 in the morning, and I stagger up to the front desk and say, bed, please. <laughs> By about 8 o'clock now, they, they give us our room keys, and I'm loaded down with baggage. I've got like a, a backpack, I've got my briefcase, and I've got my suitcase in my hand. So I'm wobbling around. I stagger over to the elevator the lift the elevator the elevator doors go in i turn around and back in because i've got all these bags and i wanted to lean up against the back wall well guess what happens the back wall to the elevator opens up into the restaurant i carry on through the elevator smack into a um a waiter who's carrying uh, this huge tray of breakfast knock it flying all over these people tables are going over it's sort of like the Three Stooges, but I was a single one. With that, I picked myself up and say, oh, sorry, <laughs> stagger back into the elevator and disappear. Um, I, felt, I felt very bad for them, but hey, they should have a warning, shouldn't they, saying, careful, doors, doors open. But maybe it was there, but as I backed in, I didn't see it. Very good. Now, Spinal Tap might have used that one in, a, <laughs> in an yeah, additional well, scene for I their think people have actually used the one bumping into waiters and knocking breakfast oh, everywhere, right? That was really good, though. I really yeah. like that. Real good. We're speaking with Roger Earl. The new disc is coming out when? It's in, uh, into June, right? Uh, June 26th. It's going to be released. It'll be in all your stores. You can uh, also download it via foghat.net if you follow the instructions. Um, you can find out where we're going to be 
where we've been, who and what we are, by through foghat.net, that's our website. And, um, yeah, we're, we're going to be on the road. Uh, we're going to roll to road and rock till we drop. Very good. Foghat Live 2, make sure you pick up a couple hundred copies of it and support my good friend Roger Earl. Bless you, brother. Thanks for being on the show, man. Rick, pleasure talking to you. Take care, and I'll see you on the road. Hi, this is Rick Anthony thanking you again for listening to this episode of Someone You Should Know. Now, if you're an aspiring musician or an established musician that's looking for a little exposure, I invite you to drop us a line at someoneyoushouldknowpodcast at gmail.com. That's someoneyoushouldknowpodcast at gmail.com. Also, I invite you to tell a friend about the Someone You Should Know podcast. I thank you for tuning in this time, and I invite you to check us out next time on the Someone You Should Know podcast, because you never know who's going to show up. Until next time, remember, God loves you, and so do I.